All right, folks, we are very excited to share a special episode with you all. But before you start listening, we have a simple request to ask of you. Two words. Go outside. That's correct. We designed this hour to be listened to in the great outdoors, preferably under the stars. That's right. So please grab your smartphone or your speaker and sprawl out in the grass, climb up to the rooftop, Mm. lay on the hood of your car, do whatever you need to do to make the sky your ceiling. Yes, and join us on a strange trip through the wild with guests like the musician Feist, Robin Pecknold of the band Fleet Foxes, star astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, and a talking wolf you might recognize. And hey, if you want to share the experience with friends, we've got a whole night picnic kit for you. It's got ideas for food and cocktails, a post-show playlist from the band Sylvan Esso, a trivia game, and it's all at dinnerpartydownload.org slash lookup. Use it or not, but really, going outside is the key. Mm -hmm. So, have you found your patch of sky yet, podcaster? Press pause if you need a minute. We can wait. Okay. When you're ready, then and only then, press play. Hold up, did you get your bug spray? Mm. Okay, now, away we go. From American Public Media's The Dinner Party Download, in conjunction with the NEA and the National Park Service, this is Look Up and Listen, a special hour-long audio odyssey through nature and space, designed to be listened to outside under the stars, even though it begins one afternoon in a studio. Welcome back. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and this is the Dinner Party Download, your audio guide to the best in arts, culture, and food every weekend. And you're joining us in the midst of our conversation with author Florence Williams. She is a, Yes. She is a contributing writer to Outside Magazine and National Geographic, and her new book is called The Nature Fix. So delighted that you're here, Florence. It's a pleasure to be here. So the premise of this book is that science has proven that spending time in nature almost gives us superpowers. <laughs> Can you, can you give us can you give us some concrete examples? Yes, I can. Scientists have been looking at this from a number of different angles, and one of them is sort of looking at what happens to our nervous systems even within five minutes of entering a pleasant natural environment. You know, it doesn't really count if you walk out into a hailstorm. Like that's not really going to make you feel great. <laughs> It'll hurt for one thing. <laughs> yeah, it will hurt. But in general, if you go into um, a space that that you know makes you take a deep breath and you hear some bird song and maybe look at some trees or some water, your nervous system responds. Your blood pressure will go down a little bit. Your heart rate may drop. Um, your stress cortisol levels may go down. Well, if it's if it's just bird song and seeing trees, couldn't I put that up on my flat screen at home and cue up some bird song music? Would that do the trick? Aha. Glad you asked that. Some people are trying that. It it actually does have some benefits. It does help you feel better. But what they're finding is that really to get the full benefits, you need all of your senses engaged. So if you're just Mm. looking at something, that's just one sense. It will help, but it's not really the whole enchilada. You also need to be smelling something good and hearing mm, something wonderful. Sure. In the book, you actually point to a study that says we may sleep better if we're smelling trees. Yeah. But you also detail all the possible side effects of not getting out enough. The one that really surprised me was nearsightedness, myopia. I was surprised by that too. Yeah, our researchers are finding out a lot about vitamin D. Which we get from sunlight, right? We get it from sunlight. And we know a lot of us are deficient in vitamin D. But it turns out that something like 85% of teenagers in parts of Asia are nearsighted. And for a long time, 
you know, doctors thought that was because they were doing so much computer work mm-hmm. where they were just focusing at a close distance. But now it turns out that it's it's actually because they're not getting enough vitamin D and they're not going outside enough. Mm. So there's something about the vitamin D that's helping to shape the retina so oh that it develops normally. While preparing to chat with you, we were watching some uh, videos and some talks you gave. And you ended one of your talks with a quote from the famous naturalist John Muir. Uh, and it's really beautiful, and I was wondering if you can remember it, if you can share it with us. Oh, yeah, sure. The quote is, Between every two pine trees, there is a door leading to a new way of life. Uh, do, do you have another question? Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry, Florence. I am I just lost my train of thought. I'm oh. really tired. Yeah, me too. Excuse us. We don't sleep well. It's late nights. Whoa, just got a text. Oh. I'll get to it later. We'll, um, I apologize. We'll just yeah. Let's, let's wrap this up. Okay. Uh, beautiful quote. Fascinating stuff. Florence Williams. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Great. Thanks, everybody. That's a wrap. All Thanks, right. Florence. Nice. That'll end up sounding great. I promise. Um, yeah. We're gonna air this later today. I'll tweet it, post it to Facebook when we're done editing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after Rico gets back from his eye doctor's. Oh yeah, my eyes are terrible. But look, please excuse us. We got to run to our next interview. It's happening right oh now. Oh my God, that's right. I knew right. I forgot about that. I'm kind of stressed out about it. <sighs> when aren't we stressed? You guys, I, I'm going to take a guess here, but I don't think you get out in nature very much, do you? What? <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. Okay, when? When do you get out in nature? Um, There's a patio outside uh, in the bar that we go to after work on Fridays. That's right. It has a plant. Two plants, yeah. actually. And when you came here, you saw the parking lot? That is outside. True. The top level of it is. Uh-huh. I don't really like to park up there, though, because oh, the yeah. sun kind of bakes my car. Yeah, me too. The car gets really hot. Sure. You guys need to step between two pine trees. What? That's a <laughs> That was a metaphor, right? Yeah. Stepping between two pine trees. And anyway, where are we going to find pine trees? We're in a studio <laughs> in Los Angeles. Right over there. That closet? That's where Kai Ristall keeps his hunting trophies. Yeah. Look at the wallpaper. <sighs> pine trees. It's okay. Shut it behind you. Uh, okay. Have fun. Uh, so this isn't weird at all. Right? I wonder if there's any food in Ah! Hello, and welcome to Look Up and Listen, a nature immersion therapy program. You have been guided here because you are nature deficient, or as scientists call it, denatured. Well, good news! You are about to be renatured by embarking on a journey through the outdoors. As you begin the renaturalization process, here are a few facts to keep in mind. First, you may notice a large light above your head. That is called the sun. <laughs> Duh. It's like a ceiling lamp, except it makes everything live, and if you stare into it, you will go blind. Second, If you see tiny lights surrounded by darkness, those are stars. I've seen those a couple times. Yeah, me too. They are more suns very far away. Don't think about that too long or your head will explode. Hey, you may find yourself wondering, what's that beneath my feet? That is dirt. It's like the floor in your house or office with the floor removed. It's okay to touch it, but don't put it right in your mouth as it may contain fire ants. Ew. Finally, you may encounter other people. Feel free to hang out and exchange ideas with them. This is called conversation. Okay, you're almost ready to get started. Just as soon as we go over a few rules. Rule one, turn off your cell phone. The distractions of social media and Beyonce's twins make full nature immersion impossible. 
Good. Now for rule number two, avoid bears. That's about it. The rest you'll figure out as you go. To begin your adventure, just open the door. This film strip and the projector which houses it will now decompose into a rich, ecologically friendly mulch. Goodbye. Okay. I guess open the door. You open the door. I'm not opening the door. Fine, I'll do it. So, this is a pine forest at night. Yeah. And five seconds ago, it was noon in L.A. Mm -hmm. Should we freak out right now? You know, I'm just going to assume we're hallucinating. Oh, like after that pizza we ate in Vermont. Yeah. And we were like, why do they charge us $75 for a mushroom pizza? Okay. Whoa. What's that smell? I think that's clean air. Smells weird. Hmm. Anyway... It's empty here. Let's go home. Right. Look, I'm just going to call someone to get us. Hello. I just told you, no phones. Yours will now dissolve into an ecologically friendly mulch. Goodbye. Ugh. It's cool. It's cool. We'll just use mine. Seriously, dude? Goodbye. Yeah. Honestly, I knew that would happen. Yeah, I kind of had a feeling. Wait. I think there's some activity going on over there. I see it. Come on. I wonder if Einstein used moose in his hair to keep it standing up on end like that. I mean, I would. Excuse me, are, are you superstar astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson? I guess I am. Oh, you're the dinner party download guys, right? That's right. Yeah. Pleased to meet you. Welcome. Yeah. Likewise. Are you talking to a coyote, though? I, I think it's a wolf. That's right, I am. Coyotes are smaller, thank you very much. And we all default to English in Dr. Tyson's presence. Yeah, I tried to learn wolf, but they communicate in another, in wolfin, I think. You tried, man. You gents may call me Nick Offerman. Oh, yeah, you do sound like Nick Offerman. Sorry, who's Nick Offerman? He's a really funny actor. does woodworking. Forget it. Uh, hey, Neil, so we really want to get back to the city. Could you call us an Uber or something? Our phones are dead. Yeah. Why don't you just sit back, hang out for a few seconds, and enjoy the night sky with me? Well, no, we really, we have to be getting back. I got wine. I got, just chill. You got wine? Yeah. yeah. We can stay for a few minutes. We can probably stick around for a few oh. minutes. All of a sudden. All right, sit down, grab a seat, chill. Here, I'll curl up and you can use my downy back as a pillow. Okay. Thanks. <sighs> yeah, so... Let us toast to the night sky in the darkest places on Earth. Actually, can I ask you something? Yeah. You're director of the Hayden Planetarium in New York, am I right? Oh, yeah. I've been that for 20 years, 20 years. So you can see the stars as bright as you want whenever you want in the planetarium. Why leave the city to see stars out here? The planetarium has a boatload of stars that I can see, but that boatload pales compared with the actual number of stars in the actual universe. How many stars are there in the universe? About a sextillion in the observable universe. One with 21 zeros. Fascinating. Yeah, that's about 100 times bigger than the total number of sounds and words ever uttered by all humans who have ever lived. Oh, my God, even with Donald Trump tweeting right now? Includes that and filibusters and everything, yes. Wow. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. (laughs) You don't have to because the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. So whether you believe it or not has no bearing on whether or not it's true. Just keep that in mind. All right. When you look up there right now, what's the first thing you turn to? Oh, the constellations. And what constellation do you gravitate toward? Uh, Orion. I think that's a lot of people's favorite constellation. It straddles the northern and southern hemispheres, so... Almost everybody on Earth can see it, whether you live in the north or in the south. And it's one of the few constellations, there's about six, that actually kind of looks like who it's described to be. Uh (laughs) And the rest are 
pale approximations yeah. of the lore and yeah. legend that has been assigned to them. Yeah, my, my favorite is it, it uh, what is the serpent constellation that basically connects all the leftover stars? Oh, yeah, the leftover ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would. <laughs> so it's Eridinus, which is a river, sort of connects leftover stars into one constellation. Yeah. And I, every now and then I want to just stop and say, it's time to redo all the constellations. Mm. Yeah, so we should have a Kardashian. Well, yeah, if, they, if you want to think of them as our, as our deities, sure, yeah. you put the Kardashians up there. Actually, a Prius, that name sounds like a constellation. I think Prius would work. Uh, also, definitely great. an iPhone. Oh, yeah. Right. Sure. Like, these are things in our culture that we sure. worship. <laughs> so I want to ask, I'm going to show how ignorant I am of the night sky because oh, it's way, been so long. By the way, keep looking up while we're having this conversation because then you might see a shooting star. Okay. You can't point out a shooting star to someone because by the time you do it, it is, oh, it's over. Mm. All right. So we'll keep yeah. our, our eyes trained to the sky here. Yes. Um, actually, I'm going to have another sip of wine. That helps. You know, yeah. that's I'll do that. So this is going to, it's been so long since I've looked up at the sky. I, I live in Brooklyn. I don't see a lot of stars. It, forgive me, is Orion part of the Milky Way? Every star in the night sky is, is, part, of is the Milky part of the Milky Way. Way. Okay. And as you look at this band of cloudy light that we call the Milky Way, those are stars of the Milky Way so far away that all the light has pulled together into one glowing stream. And since in the era before telescopes, no one knew what that was. It was just a cloud or m milk. Yeah. So the Romans, uh, because they named their streets ways, like Appian Way, uh, they called it the Milky Way. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> but if they used the word street, that it would just be called the Milky Street. It'd be called Milky Street? Yeah. And, and in, and it's less poetic. Definitely less yeah. poetic. And in, in the Far East, in China, where milk is not a popular beverage in adulthood, I always wondered, that they, I don't believe they would have called it Milky Way, so I checked it out, and they called it the Silver River. Oh, yeah. I like Silver River. River. I think I like that better than Milky Way. Yeah. Right, right. Not everything that we're seeing out there, of course, are stars. We are also, I guess, looking at planets. You know, we're in the Western Hemisphere right now. It's summertime. Point out a, a planet to us and tell us about it. So Mars is up there. You notice it has a slightly reddish hue to it. Mm -hmm. If you whip out a telescope, you'd be able to see polar ice caps. This is yes. why Mars has triggered so much enchantment among science fiction writers as well as scientists. Because not only does it rotate once about every 24 hours, like Earth, it's tipped on its axis, like Earth, which means it has seasons. And it has polar ice caps, like Earth, like Earth currently has. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, those ice caps shrink and grow seasonally. So Mars has captured our imagination for a long time. And, of course, it was named after the Roman god of war because of its color. War generally brings bloodshed, mm -hmm. and blood is red. Mm -hmm. And blood is red for the same reason that Mars is red, iron. A fundamental element in your hemoglobin is iron. Is that an extension of the metaphor that we are made up of stars? It's a subset of it, not an extension of it, that we are stardust. It's not only figuratively true. That wasn't just Nabokov. Uh, it's literally true. Wow. Actually, I think that was Bowie that said that. David right. Bowie said it before? Yeah. But mm. am I remembering this right? There isn't there a theory floating around out there that life on Earth came from Mars? It's a it's a plausibility argument. Yes, that life on Earth arrived by mechanisms that for which we have a word called panspermia. Panspermia. Yeah. So where life begins somewhere else mm. and moves from one planet to another. Does that mean we're Martians, technically? If that was true, yes, all humans would be descendants of Martians. Whoa. And the reason why How we would... that's plausible is we have life on Earth that has resistance to conditions that do not otherwise exist on Earth. We have 
microbes, bacteria that you can freeze dry. You can freeze them, dry them, reconstitute them, and they come back to life. Okay. That is not a natural thing to happen on Earth. Yeah. But if you blasted a colony of bacteria from Mars into space, the only ones that would survive are the ones that can freeze dry. They'd make the whole trip to Earth, mm. land in a puddle of water, get reconstituted, mm. and there you have it. Like sea monkeys? <laughs> exactly like sea monkeys. We're descended and from cosmic sea monkeys is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Pretty trippy. <laughs> Would you mind just putting your hand in my mouth for a moment? I'm sorry, what? Oh, nothing. Yikes. I'm just going to move to the other side of the blanket for a second. Understood. Uh, if there's a planet you could visit, if you, any planet, which planet would you visit? Oh, Saturn. I go on a moon of Saturn and orbit Saturn for, uh, for weeks. You said that so quickly. Why? Uh, that means you've never seen Saturn through a telescope. Saturn rises a little later. We'll check it out. I'll okay. show it to you. And then you will never ask me that question again. You'll say, let's look at Saturn together and let's move there. Yes. Well, we will. know it has rings. It's pretty. I think it's everybody yeah. as a kid. It's kind of the most fancy planet. So does right. Jupiter, Uranus, and Neptune. But Saturn's are the most stunning. And is it just the aesthetics of Saturn that attract you to yes. it? Yes. Yes. There is beauty in the universe that transcends all imagination on Earth. Well, it also, it also is less dense than water. So when I was growing up as a kid, I wanted it instead of a rubber ducky, I wanted a rubber Saturn so I could float it on the water. It's the only planet that will float. You were a weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Saturn was named after a Roman god. Asteroids also have names, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Every single one of them. Are there any rules for naming asteroids? Yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to name it after someone who was misanthropic. Really? There's no Hitler asteroid. I'm a member of a community that cares about peace and harmony in the world. The world's astrophysicists. You will not see us leading armies into battle. We have cosmic perspectives that preclude this kind of conduct. But maybe the other reason is you, you might not be that great at leading armies into <laughs> battle. You're astrophysicists. All I'm saying is, asteroids, <laughs> you can name them after practically any person, place, or thing. And the naming rights goes to the person who discovers the asteroid. All right. Mm. Yeah, so I have an asteroid named after me. Really? really? Yeah. Is it Neil deGrasse Tyson Jr.? It's 13123 Tyson is the name. Is that your original name? One three, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> like that's uh, Italian, right? But the 13123 is silent, you see. So. <laughs> I, I see. You're talking about, uh, you know, astrophysicists won't lead people into war. Uh, it's true for anyone with a cosmic perspective. I'm certain of it. Well, I was going to say, you're talking about the cosmic perspective coursing through you. I have a lot of sincere coursing through me now that we've been hanging out here, <laughs> looking at the sky. Oh, me too. Um, Actually, Neil, can I turn on your radio over here for some music? Yeah. Okay. Um, what do you mean by that cosmic perspective? It's, a, it's an outlook that basically dismantles your ego thoroughly. And, but Rico, then, you should listen up. It, uh -huh. But then it builds it back in a curious way. Most often, your ego thrives on some expectation or claim or declaration that you are not only different from everyone else, but you're better than everyone else. So you can have ego of the individual, you can have ego of a culture, mm -hmm. you can have ego of a nation, you can have ego of your species. We are better than the other animals, so let's just slaughter them and eat them. When you get brought into a cosmic perspective, there's very little room left for that ego. When you learn, you're not made of anything special, made of the same stuff that's the most common ingredients in the universe. You find out you're barely distinguishably identical to every other human on Earth, and we have DNA in common with all other life on Earth. So, no, you're not special for being different. Maybe instead we should think of it as you're special for being the same. Mm. And that gives you a sense of participation yeah. in the great unfolding of cosmic events and phenomena. Yeah. 
Makes me uh, want to know what I have in common with Saturn. Yeah, you you want to go there right now? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we need a rocket ship, which we don't have. Who do you think you're having a picnic with? I got one right over here. What? That looks like a 1982 Volvo covered in corduroy. I know. It was a gift from Carl Sagan. Uh-huh. Oh. Here, get in. Just, yeah, move the turtleneck shirt to the back seat. They'll make room. Okay. Nick Offerman, you coming? No, guys, I think I'll stay here and pee and yawn for a while. All right, suit yourself. Rico, you want to hit that button that says Saturn? Uh, okay. Oh, I should tell you, this thing goes faster than light speed. So when we get back... It'll be 10 years ago. What? What? Happy trails, gentlemen. (laughs) That was Glenn Gray and the Casaloma Orchestra with Smoke Rings on NPR Natural Public Radio. I'm Sky Driscoll, and now... Time for eavesdropping. Ooh, my favorite. In which we overhear a fascinating true tale this week as told by writer Rahawa Hale. It's the spring of 2016, and I'm 10 miles south of Damascus, Virginia, where an annual celebration called Trail Days has just wrapped up. Last night, temperatures plummeted into the 30s. Today, long-distance Appalachian trail hikers who'd slept in hammocks and mailed their underquilts home too soon were groaning into their morning coffee. A few small fires shot wood smoke at the sun. Over the next 24 hours, most of the hikers in attendance would pack up and hit the 554-mile stretch of the Appalachian Trail that runs north through Virginia. As I'm moving along, a day hiker heading in the opposite direction, stops me for a chat. He's affable and inquisitive. He asks what many have asked before. Where are you from? I tell him Miami. He laughs and says, no, but really, where are you from from? He mentions something about my features, my thin nose, and then trails off. I tell him my family is from Eritrea, a country in the Horn of Africa next to Ethiopia. I knew it, he says. You're not black. I say that, of course I am. None more black. Not really, he says. You're African, not black black. Blacks don't hike. I'm tired of this man, his from-froms and black blacks. He wishes me good luck and leaves. He means it, too. He isn't malicious. To him, there's nothing abnormal about our conversation. He has categorized me, and the world makes sense again. Not black-black. I hike the remaining miles back to my tent and don't emerge for hours. It will be several months before I realize that most AT hikers in 2016 are unaware of the clear division that exists between what hikers of color experience on the trail, generally positive, and in town, not so much. While fellow through hikers and trail angels are some of the kindest and most generous people I'll ever encounter, many trail towns have no idea what to make of people who look like me. They say they don't see much of, quote, my kind around here and leave the rest hanging in the air. 
The reality is, outdoor skills were a matter of survival for black people before they became a form of exclusion. Harriet Tubman is rarely celebrated as one of the most important outdoor figures in American history, despite traversing thousands of miles over the same mountains I walked this year. As a queer black woman, I'm among the last people anyone expects to see on a thru-hike. But nature is a place I've always belonged. My home in South Florida spanned the swamp, the Keys, and the dredge land in between. My father and I explored them all, waving at everything from egrets to purple gallinules and paddling by the bowed roots of mangroves. Throughout my youth, my grandmother and I took walks in Miami, where I'd hear her say the words, Omnifas. It meant a delicious wind, a nourishing wind. These experiences shaped how I viewed movement through the natural world, how I view it still, the elements I thought could end my hunger. Little has changed since. Now the rocks gnaw at my shins. I thud against the ground, my tongue coated in dirt. I pick myself back up and start again. Rahawa Hale, a longer version of that story first appeared in Outside Magazine. And now, on Natural Public Radio, let's do the numbers. Here's a number, 32, that's how many brains leeches have. Caterpillars have around 4,000 muscles compared to us puny humans who have just 629. A lightning strike can reach 54,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And while we're on the subject of weather, the average cumulus cloud weighs 1.1 million pounds, which is the equivalent of 100 elephants, 31 brontosauruses, four blue whales, or 1.1 million squirrels. You're listening. That's enough of that. Good story though. Yeah, I bet Neil would have dug it too. Was that a great idea, leaving him on Saturday? Relax, man. Stephen Hawking said they'd figure out a way to get home. You know, I would say I was surprised Stephen was up there, but I really wasn't. Mm. I'm hungry. But it's pretty cool of Neil to lend us his car. He said it will take us wherever we want. Yeah, wherever we want. Okay, uh, I want to hang out with the band Fleet Foxes in a eucalyptus grove overlooking the ocean. Whatever. Well, here's the eucalyptus grove overlooking the ocean part. Yep. Mm. And that's Robin Pecknold of Fleet Foxes over there. No, it isn't. Hey, excuse me. Hey, Robin Pecknold? Yeah. Oh, my God. Nature is amazing. Hey, man. Uh, Rico and Brendan, you've been on our show before, the Dinner Party Download. Yeah. Hi. Shouldn't you be on tour for your new album right now, though? Oh, no. I'm I'm just um, passing my time here in a eucalyptus grove overlooking the ocean. Like voluntarily? Or were you sent here on this nature immersion thing? I was. Is that why you're here as well? Yeah. We weren't getting outside enough. Or... Same. Oh, yeah? I was missing. They found me after many days in a basement just just scrolling through Instagram. That's horrible. That's pretty bleak, man. It was very dark. Very dark time. At least your guitar didn't turn into mulch. Yeah. Hey, do you find that music helps when you're out here? Yeah. I remember I went on this really long, like three-week-long hiking trip once in Nepal. And um, the only thing I listened to was like a Fiona Apple the album that had come out. And it was totally didn't match, but it was it was kind of great because the album was like a, a bridge back to the real world, because I was I was on this really long backpacking trip. So it's like music made you a little less isolated in the wilderness. Yeah, you know, it occurs to me, 
that you'd probably make a pretty good mixtape for looking up at these stars right now. Yeah, like a stargazing soundtrack. How about one of those, Robin? <laughs> totally. Wait, hold up. We're just going to lay out our bedrolls here while you think about it. Wait, where'd you get these? Neil, Saturn's made of gas. There's no ground for him to sleep on. Oh, just lay down here. Robin, whenever you're ready. Great. So here are some songs that if I'm stargazing or thinking about life, staring at the night sky, some songs that provide the appropriate soundtrack. My first song is called Homesickness. It's by an artist, Emhoit Tsege Mariam Gebru. This one's pretty slow <laughs> and evocative and doesn't have uh, too much movement. came across this record a few years ago and I've listened to it uh, pretty obsessively since then. She's a Ethiopian pianist and composer who now lives in Jerusalem. And it's just this very beguiling mixture of Western classical influence and then uh, ragtime, but through this Ethiopian filter where there's these clearly Ethiopian modes and, and rhythmic figures, uh, so it has this kind of mysterious otherworldly quality where if you're not familiar, familiar with that music, it, it evokes music you might be familiar with, but it's not quite that. Instrumental music is good to me for, for stargazing. Because once you bring words into it, there's a, it almost limits, limits it. it. It pulls it back into you know, whatever the image or the lyric is. It has more potential for expressing feeling than music with words. The next song for Staring at the Sky is uh, Drowning the Call by Mirroring, which is a collaboration that came out in 2012. Liz Harris from Grouper and then Jesse Fortino from Tiny Vipers. This song is very, very beautiful. These kind of uh, pillowy, cloudy synthesizers and this plaintive, beautiful female vocal non-linguistic, just singing these beautiful melodies. Yeah, it's just this sweet vocal line. Grouper, I believe she lives in Portland, visual artist and musician, makes beautiful music. And Jesse is from Seattle, and we actually worked together at this restaurant in Seattle. It was called Bimbo's. It was next to a place called the Cha Cha. We had shifts together, a lot of shifts together. It's the most open-ended or ambiguous song on that on that record, and I associate stargazing with openness and ambiguity. <laughs> So 
So my third song for Staring at the Night Sky is uh, David Behrman, a song called On the Other Ocean. It's a really interesting early computer music song. This is from the 70s. There's a, a live flute and a cello, and they're, they're improvising in this really beautiful scale. And then there's a synthesizer that is hearing what they're playing, and it is, it's a computer synthesizer that's hearing what they're playing, and it's reacting in real time. So there'll be these little billowing clouds of notes, and then the synthesizer will react to them, harmonize with them, it's like this conversation between the players and the computer. And then sometimes the players will stop playing and the synthesizer doesn't know what to do, so it will just hold these long, long tones until the players come back in. I don't really like much ambient music, or it, it does something about the character of a lot of the ambient stuff that I hear I, it doesn't really appeal to me, but this song has a real magic. So if I needed to now hear one of my own songs from the new album, I guess I would pick uh, the second to last song on the record, which is called I Should See Memphis. I know I was saying that music with words is bad for stargazing, but I sing this one really low and quiet. <laughs> so I won't uh, disturb the experience too much. Endless vacation. Felt like perdition. When I'm stargazing, my mind is jumping from place to place, maybe thinking about the past, somewhere that doesn't exist, something that will happen or something I said. And uh, this song does the same, lyrically. Jumps around and uh, every line kind of changes the meaning of the line before it. There's kind of a lot of ambient textures in the in the song. There's this blooming string arrangement and some synthesizer sounds that were influenced by the David Behrman song. And, and then it ends with this kind of, uh, it end, you know, I'm thinking about the night sky, the sky, sometimes there are airplanes in the sky, and the song ends with uh, a recording of me sing, improvising uh, a song, and it kind of sounds like I'm being sucked into the engine of like a 747. <laughs> uh. Whoa. Must have fallen asleep. Where is everybody? Brendan? Robin? I'm hungry. Whatever, I think I got a protein bar in my pocket. 
No. Hey. Ah. Oh. Francis Lamb, Top Chef Masters, judge and host of Public Radio's The Splendid Table. Of course, you're here. Why not? Yeah, I was, uh, I was just paddling by my canoe and I heard this pathetic sound. Do you have a, a hurt child with you? No, no, that was, that was probably me. Uh, I'm starving. I had this protein bar, but my phone melted all over it. First phone melt? Yeah. Yeah, they, that happens over here. Don't sweat. I, I got some food. Oh, great. In your backpack there? Here, check this out. I, uh, let's see what I got. Oh, wow. Um, did you bring anything on your canoe trip except food? I mean... That's amazing. Uh, beers? I like you, Francis Lamb. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. So, can we talk about this incredible array of food that you have here? Because I'll be honest, I'm surprised. I think of cooking for camping or for a hiking trip. I think of it as being pretty restrictive, you know, that there aren't that many choices. I mean, yeah, but like, you know, restriction is the key to all creativity, right? But yeah, I mean, totally. When you're going out... You want to you want to keep a few things in mind. You don't want things that spoil super easily. You don't want things that are too heavy. You don't want things that are gonna be um, that are gonna sap your energy. Honestly, like you want things that give you like good protein and good fat. And I mean, I like salt. I don't think you actually need a lot of salt, but like I think of really salty foods too. Sure, which of course brings up you know the obvious things. I think of gorp, <laughs> but you've got much fancier things than that here. It looks like. Well, you know, I. Uh, I got love for Gorp, man. There's there's no sweating on Gorp. I've got some Gorp right here. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think the key to Gorp, you know, it's good old raisins and peanuts, but you add more stuff to it. That's all you got to do. Wait, is that really the acronym? Gorp, that's what it stands for? Good old raisins and peanuts? You didn't learn that? No. <laughs> you weren't taking notes? I just thought it was invented by a hippie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, looks like Gorp. That's all you got to do. It's good old raisins and peanuts and other things that are more delicious. For my Gorp, I kind of like to sneak in some M&Ms. You don't want like good chocolate because good chocolate's going to melt. And the M&Ms, what do they do? They yep. melt in your mouth, <laughs> not in your bag. Does M&Ms sponsor you? That's interesting. <laughs> if you know the person I should call, I mean, please let me know. Francis Lamb, L.A. M&M. So what, what else do you have here, though? You're a chef. It'll cost you, but that sounds great. You're a chef. Impress me, though. We're out in the, in the wilderness. I want a steak. Uh, well, you know, I, when I go out, I don't want to sweat the steak. I don't think people should be, like, stressing out over the steak when they're going camping. Because here's the problem. Maybe you have your little camp stove thing, which is great, but you're going to be burning your entire fuel source to sear that one steak. Or if you're over a campfire, it's going to be rough to, like, put your skillet in the fire and know exactly how hot it is. And you want that, like, macho sear, so you're going to get it super hot. And then you're going to be like, oh, my God, am I overcooking it? And meanwhile, like, the sparks are flying, you're burning yourself. Like, that is not a fun experience for anyone. You make eating a steak sound like a nightmare. So what's the <laughs> solution? Everything is situational. I guess so. But what's the solution? So in my head, if I'm going to go for meat, skip the hard macho sear and get really thin sliced meat, and just season it really well. So as long as it gets cooked and you're not eating it raw, it's gonna be delicious, right? So okay. uh, here's my bag of bulgogi. So I've marinated some thin sliced beef oh, and yeah, the Korean you know, dish. soy sauce and yeah, grated onion, grated ginger, a little bit of sugar, sesame oil. Once it gets cooked, it's great. All right, let's cook that up. You, do you know how to start a fire? I don't. Oh uh, yeah, I learned this in the Boy Scouts. Wow. I should have been a Boy Scout. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we get that sizzling. Uh, what else do you have? I see a bag of tomatoes, which doesn't seem particularly practical to me. When I'm going out into the woods or I'm going camping, like the greatest luxury to me 
is to bring fresh produce. And you don't want to do it because it'll get mushed up in your bag and or it's heavy, but if you do it for the first day or two, where it's not that much a big deal to have a little bit of extra weight with you, then I want to bring tomatoes because tomatoes are my religion. Good summer <laughs> sweet tomatoes. Sure, those worst things to worship. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and it's great. They actually will fulfill your dreams. So what I do here is I cut them up into cubes. I salt them mercilessly. I Maybe a little bit of vinegar, like a little bit of arugula or just some kind of green, just a nice layer on top. And then what I'll do is I'll shave a shallot super, super thin and not a whole lot, just enough to scatter on top of the greens. So you have your bowl of tomatoes, your greens, and your like your little bit of oniony thing just chilling out. Then you boil pasta, drain it, and the second it comes out, the second it's done, dump the pasta directly onto the bowl. Oh. So what you're doing is the heat of the pasta will mellow out that little bit of onion on top so it's not like all super raw oniony, right? Okay. Let it chill there for two minutes. I like to dump on a big bunch of olive oil at this point, like a lot of olive oil. And then after those two minutes, just stir it all up. The starch from the pasta and the olive oil combine with all the juices that have like leached out tomatoes because you salted them in the bottom uh, yeah. and they become your sauce. And all it's right. super light and beautiful and it is the greatest thing you can eat. Um, as a chef, what do you miss the most when you're cooking in the wilderness? Maybe an ingredient or a piece of cookware that you, you just- know, I don't know if I miss a whole lot. It's just a different experience, right? Like if I went out and tried to recreate the same thing I would make, you know, if I'm hosting people at home or whatever, then like, why am I out there? The point, like, I want to live in that moment and do what that moment gives me. And for the most part, to be honest with you, like, that moment gives me, like, an opportunity to cut up a piece of salami and eat it with some cheese and, like, a slice of, like, two-day-old bread. <laughs> Enjoy the simple thing? Yeah, but I'm good with that because hunger is the greatest seasoning. <laughs> well, in that case, I, I think I overseason because I'm famished. It looks like this, uh, your bulgogi is done. Can I have a bite of this? Yeah, dude. Go for it. All right, here we go. Oh man, this is delicious. Thank you so much for sharing this stuff. What? Oh my God. Ahoy. Brendan? Hey. Uh, hey Brendan, great to meet you. Thank you for destroying my canoe with your kayak. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, Francis Lamb, the cook guy. Do you have olives? Well, I always travel with olives and here they are, but uh, maybe we should talk about the fact that you actually just destroyed my canoe. Look, we can talk about that in a moment. I've been kayaking around for hours with a shaker full of martinis and no garnish. It's been a nightmare, and I'm having a really tough time right Brendan, now. Brendan, why did you disappear? Where did you get the shaker and the kayak, and why are you wearing a belt made out of bells? Okay. I went for a walk, mm -hmm. and you know the great Canadian singer-songwriter Feist? Yeah, you ran into her. How'd you know? Lucky guess. Wait, I'll bet we could listen to one of her songs right now. One, two, three, four, tell me that you love me more. Sleepless, long nights, as with my youth was for. Oh, teenage hopes are right at your door. Left you in the theme, they want some more. Wow, nice. Right? Boy Scout trick. Anyway, where'd you find her? I don't know. Somehow I ended up on this island. And then I was like, hey, Leslie Feist. Who are you? I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm such a fan of yours. What are you doing out here? I build sculptures out of rocks and uh, I collect really? blueberries. I collect blueberries in the morning and I go for <laughs> swims. It's interesting. I think of you as such kind of an, of an urbane character. Like I associate you with Paris and, oh, uh, yes, well. <laughs> and Toronto. And uh, <laughs> has being in nature always been part of your life? It's been a slowly evolving love affair because I grew up in a city. I mean, it was a small one, but I didn't 
really know anything else. And over the years, I've found my way out of town. I found the romance at the edge of the woods and the kind of sense of being out of time and place. When I'm in nature, somehow I feel susceptible again to being a being prey. Mm. <laughs> and unless this presumption of this sort of like eternal, easy, low-grade predator that we are by having everything we want at all times in the city. And it kind of mm. numbs me out and makes me feel that I have no... I don't need to get myself anything because it's been gotten for me. So when I'm on this island, I'm a forager, I'm a swimmer, I'm a sunset watcher, I'm a, oh shoot, I'm out of water, I need to like row the kayak over to the, the faucet that's five kilometers from here and get some fresh water. And, you know, there's something really luxurious about having so little. Funny, I think one of the reasons I don't spend a lot of time in nature is that whole prey thing, you know? I don't really, <laughs> no, no, really like no feeling no, as if I know. I'm prey. No, I know, it's not ideal, especially the first time I went to this place and the guy showed me the giant leather belt covered in enormous balls that are bells. And he said, oh yeah, so, you know, across the way, because it's an island, and you feel, okay, well, whatever's on this rock is what's going to be here. No, 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 the bears swim across. So he, he said, ring this bell. If you feel there's a bear around, just ring the bell, ring the bell, and they'll get annoyed and go away. And I'm saying, that does not seem like the best security system, but it's a trade-off. Do you not go then for fear of this potentiality, or do you just, okay, well, the bear is going to not want to deal with my noise, and I don't want to deal with being eaten by a bear. We'll work it out. So how, if at all, does it inform your music? Do you bring a guitar with you? I have brought a guitar out, but I actually met one of my favorite Canadian authors, Anne-Marie MacDonald, and I had I heard through the grapevine that she, in the 80s or something, happened to the same island. And so I, hmm. when I met her, I said, you're not, okay, this is going to be so out of left field, but do you remember this place? And then she said, oh my gosh, I haven't heard about that forever. I said, well, did you write Fall on Your Knees there? Because that was my favorite of her books. Huh. And she said, why would I ruin a perfectly good island by writing there? Huh. <laughs> Which I thought, <laughs> oh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Because, you you know, you want to just sort of stare at the eagle and, mm. I don't know, dive for sparkling rocks or things that require less, uh, I don't know, frontal lobe presence. You mean you didn't come here to have a strange guy in a blazer interrogate you? <laughs> well, do you want some coffee? Or I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll the take a cup of coffee. The sun I'll take is a cup setting. Of coffee, but then, if you could just point, can you just point to how I can kind of get back to my co-host so we can return to the city? Because uh, I really could use a gin martini. Well, I have gin. I mean, come on, oh. this island is not devoid of pleasures. You know what I'm saying? Oh, excellent. Um, All right, but well, maybe um, <laughs> maybe I'll just stay for one, and then I'll swim. I'll, I'll just swim out of here. Well, there's. I mean, there's that kayak over there you could use. The waves are getting pretty big, though, so there are times sometimes where three days in a row we're stuck here because when the waves are big, where do you need to be? Dead? So, no, you just stay on the island. Yeah. Um. All right, well, then if I stay here, I just have... Can I just wear that belt with the bells because I'm really not a bear fan? (laughs) You paddled through bears and didn't spill any martini. Respect, man. Thanks. Yeah. Anyway... I figure maybe we can use the kayak to get home. Nice. Wait. Where's the kayak? Later, dudes. Francis, no. Uh, hey, bring that back. Brendan, Brendan. What a- He's gone. He's gone. Would you please take off the bells? All right. We're stuck here. 
Hey, you smell that? No. Exactly. Fresh air isn't weird now. Huh. I mean, maybe it's great we're stuck here. Right? I slept well. I'm way less stressed. It is beautiful. Yeah. I haven't missed my phone, really. No. And apparently, nature's filled with celebrities who give you booze. Totally. Look, the sun is rising. Let's just enjoy it. Do you hear that? Well, hello, gentlemen. Oh, hey. Hi, Nick Offerman, the wolf. Still here, I see. Yeah, we can't figure out how to get back. It's cool, though. Yeah. We're, we're digging it out here. All you gotta do is step between any two pine trees. That's all we gotta do to go home? Yeah. I mean, I'm frankly surprised you haven't done it already by accident. There's two right over there. Wow. Well, all right. Let's go home. Wait, wait a second. Do you even want to go? Seriously? I mean, like, what if we lose everything we gained out here the second we buy new phones and plug them in and get back in the rat race? Well, and... I actually heard a legend of an uh, actor that was considered competent in both comedy and drama. Mm. He was known for his bushy beard and his woodworking skills, mm. and mm. legend has it that he was able to strike just such a balance. How'd he do that? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. He uh, was able to... Make spending time in nature a priority. And so instead of filling his schedule with things like traffic and social media, mm -hmm. he would set time aside to go hiking or just find wherever the most beautiful trees were in his neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I believe he preferred the sycamore. This person sounds incredibly wise. Was he also, like, strong? He seems almost godlike. Mm -hmm. He's very good at carrying luggage. Wow. Mm. It's a lot to live up to, Nick Offerman the Wolf, but we'll do our damnedest. Heck yeah. Adios, Nick Offerman the Wolf. We'll be back. Oh, I know. Bring bring sausage back next time, would you? All right. Got it. These two are the pine trees, right? Okay, here we go. We're back. Aw, the old studio. Uh, Wait. Why is our show name spelled out on the wall in macrame? Is that is that our theme song? Funky. Hey guys, your interview guest will be here in a second. I'm sorry, our guest? Far Out Threads, by the way. Where'd you get them? I mean, J. Crew. Cool. Never heard of it. Anyway, I'll be in the booth. Is it me or were his bell bottoms enormous? Rico, look at the newspaper. Jane Fonda tours North Vietnam, so it's a lovely country. Dude, it's 1972. Neil! I mean, he uh, did say we'd go back in time. Yeah, 10 years. Well, he was speeding. Gentlemen, here's your guest, Alan Alda. Hey, guys, I've been listening to public radio since it launched last year. It's great. Oh, my God, Alan Alda. I, we loved you in Crimes and Misdemeanors. I'm sorry, what? Uh, oh, right. Uh, uh, don't, don't worry about it. We're, we're going to, um, you know, we're, we're going to interview you about MASH, I guess. Good, thank you. Yeah, we've seen it millions of times on uh, on cable. Yeah. Ca what's cable? Uh Forget it. Could I ask you a question? Sure, anything. You're not high on something, are you? Not no? at all. I, this is... yeah, if you guys want a reefer, I can get you a reefer. He's kidding. <clears throat> yeah, uh, if you don't mind, I have to get back to the set. Could I have my El Camino, please? Mr. Aldo, just one thing. Remember, it's the chicken's really a baby. I don't okay? know what you're talking about. These guys with the chicken. <sighs> this is going to be hard. Hey, sorry about that. Y you guys want my extra tickets to see Zeppelin tonight? This is going to be awesome. 
Look Up and Listen was written by Rico Galliano and Brendan Francis Newnham and produced by the staff of the Dinner Party Download. Senior producer Jackson Musker, associate producers Krista Ripple and James Kim, associate digital producer Christina Lopez, intern Emerald Douglas, with engineering and sound design by Jake Gorski. The show starred, as themselves, Florence Williams, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Robin Pecknold, Francis Lamb, Feist and Alan Alder. And also starred Lizzie O'Leary as the film strip, Kai Rizdahl as Sky Driscoll, Charlton Thorpe as The Engineer, and as Nick Offerman the Wolf, Nick Offerman, co-producer of the film Look and See, a portrait of Wendell Berry rolling into theatres this summer. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez wrote the 70s remix of The Argument by The Sea and Cake. Look Up and Listen is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Special thanks to Nate Toby and all at APM, to Kevin Sweeney, Karen Hayner and everyone at Lassen Volcanic National Park. Also thanks to Dave Schlom and the Ida Tarbell Memorial Women's Hub. I'm Joanne Griffith, and this is American Public Media. There you go, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Don't worry. We're back in civilization, and I think it's 2017. That's right. Not totally sure. Sometimes it seems Mm -hmm. like the dark ages. Now, look, if you're new to the Dinner Party download and you enjoyed this crazy episode, we encourage you to head to our podcast feed and try out a few others. For example, we really like the one where RuPaul gives etiquette advice. It is quite memorable. Also, there's the one in which Hamilton's Lin-Manuel Miranda tells us about rapping his way through Kansas at midnight. You should really check that out. Yes. And all of you return listeners, we'd love you to share this episode with your friends and tell them to listen outside. Please do. Also, a little heads up, there might be a small gap in our podcast feed while we spread the word about this special episode and let new listeners discover it. Fear not, though, brand new episodes starring the likes of Alison Brie and many more are coming soon. Till then, thank you and bon appetit. And here's one other podcast worth listening to, The Outside Podcast. It brings outside magazines' tradition of literary storytelling into the audio world. Their Science of Survival series presents sound-rich, immersive stories about how people endure extraordinary events, from being trapped underwater in a shipwreck to being struck by lightning. Other episodes feature interviews with the most fascinating characters in the outdoors, from climber Conrad Anker to record-setting distance swimmer Diana Nyad. You can find the Outside Podcast at outsideonline.com slash podcasts or anywhere podcasts are found.